Amen. God bless you tonight. While you're standing, if you would turn back to, please, Joseph, to 1 Peter chapter 2. I pray the Lord has been good to you this week. Of course he has, but I pray that you've been able to see that in your life. See, we serve a very good, good father, very present help in every time of trouble. He is always there. No matter how hard it seems, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how hot the flames get, he's always there. I thank him for that tonight. I want to pick back up there in 1 Peter chapter 2. I just want to read verse 8 again. And this is where we get our title. Our title tonight will be The Rock of Offense. On Sunday we was there at a stone of stumbling, but tonight we're at a rock of offense. Peter says there in verse 8, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they also they were appointed. But you... You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You may be seated tonight. Do you believe the words we've just read? Do you believe that you're that you? It's a big statement. That's a big statement because that's what revelation is. Revelation is the Lord Jesus Christ personally to you. It's not just for the days gone by. It's not just for the brothers and sisters and years to go ahead of us and all those things. But it's it's him right now to you personally. And that's where God builds all of your walk with him is on a revelation of him. And And it starts out as an encounter or an experience with the Lord Jesus. A lot of people call that first time that that you've you've encountered the Lord Jesus, they would call it an experience. It's called, and they'll ask you, have you, an experience, have you had an experience with the Holy Ghost? And, and these are an interesting query in, in the way or question or a pondering. You're talking about someone that still feels all time and space, that he's everywhere, literally everywhere. So then you dip into that question, have you had an experience with him, the Holy Ghost? And you think, well, yes, on this particular day, in this particular hour, and then I've had other moments in my life that, that I've, I've felt him, and i felt the presence of the Lord, i felt the anointing of his presence, and, and all these different things. <clears throat> and I stop and wonder, what was different from the minute before or the minute after? What was different from the day before and the day after? We shared before, me and dad were sitting in Tunica, Mississippi back in 98, 99, just talking about the Lord. And the presence of the Lord fills that cafe so thick you thought it would explode. And all we're doing is talking about the presence of the Lord and different things we've seen God did. Just before service tonight, I'm reading Luke 24. Cleopas and his friend is walking down the road and they start talking and reasoning one to another about the things that the Lord Jesus has done. And what does the Bible say? That he himself stepped out and began to speak with them. He himself. We sung that song, what great condescension. What great condescension that God, the one that fills all time and space, that he is all there is, can funnel himself down into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was in when it was in a singular form. He's not that way anymore tonight. He has a many-membered body. We just read to you, you're a member of that body in particular. You might be called peculiar by the world because you're not supposed to look nothing like the world. So if the world is one thing, and the world is one way, and the world talks this way, thinks this way, looks this way, and that is what the world is, you're supposed to be directly opposite of what the world is. 
look nothing like, smell nothing like, taste nothing like, sound nothing like, anything like. To be peculiar in his presence. To be called out. The word church means to be called out. It's not meant to be, we have this building, we're this place. No, the word church means to be called out. And called out of what? Anything that's not him. Absolutely. Anything that's not him. Called out of that, called into his presence. So that he might begin to change. He might begin a a more consistent, or maybe that's not the right word, maybe a more, let's say it like this, more constant experience with him. I like that word better. More constant experience with him. Not just Sunday, Wednesday, testifying here and there, different times in the week. But I mean constantly, constantly. That's what I want. Constantly living in his presence. Constantly. If you'll turn over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Constantly, constantly in his presence. Verse 1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Break this down. And this, is so, this first verse is so packed full. That which was from the beginning. The beginning of what? Of the cosmos. Of all there is. In the beginning, it wasn't so. You remember those Jesus talking? They had questions with Jesus. They come to him asking about this. He said, well, in the beginning, it wasn't so. How do you really know that? I was there. How can you be so sure? I said, let there be. How can you be so sure? I flung the stars off my hand. How can you be so sure? I said, let us make man our own image. He said, the day you eat that that tree there, that day you'll die. It had to be the same one that's speaking to them there walking in flesh. Otherwise, you don't serve a just God. But I want to tell you right now, I serve a just God. And you think just the paradox that God could fit and that word condescension, a lot of people, they use the word wrongly. They'll, they'll use it more sarcastically or more bitterly. Oh, you're being very condescending to me. You're trying to be condescend down to me. But no, you understand that he is the greatest and the highest there's ever been. Brought himself down to where a worm lives. Oh, do you think you are calling me a worm? That's all I am is a worm, a wretch, an outcast. And he come down to me. He come down to me. He worked his way down to me. So that which was from the beginning. So let's jump in the beginning. And let's say we go back before the beginning. In the the time where there was no time, where there was no world, there was no angels. And we think we've shared that a lot about what God's purpose was. And we've shared that a lot with the out of Christ and mystery God revealed. Brother Bram said God's purpose since before the foundation of the world was that he might reveal himself unto you. Before the foundation of the world. So again, we we spend a lot of time on this. As a carpenter, you take different reference points and you start laying foundations out and you start building on that and building on that and building on that. It's hard to imagine the rock you're standing on in in such a form that before there was, before at one time it was literally nothing and now a foundation, whatever that looks like, is beginning because he said, let there be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. He said, let there be and it was. So before all these things had happened, way back before he created angels, because he created angels before he created the planet. So keep backing up, keep backing up, keep backing up. When he would have just been known as El Elah, Elohim, self-existing, in the mind of God, the purpose, the will, his thought, his priority, his treasure, what he was condescending from. It was not just 2,000 years ago, God said, okay, you know what, let's do that now. I've got an idea. It just come to me. It just now come to me. What we'll do is we'll create a human flesh. We'll step into that body. We'll redeem mankind. And and the angels are patting him on the back. Man, that's a good one. That's the best one you come up with all day. 
No, no, no. Before the before. Before the before. That was always his plan. Now, he's a good God. He's a giver of every good gift. He's the author of life. There's none more pure. There's none more holy. There's no more precious. There's no more wonderful. We read that to you in 1 Peter chapter 2 on Sunday. <laughs> Unto you that believes he is precious. Every one of you should have his hand up. Unto you that believe he is precious. If not, we got some serious problems. You don't know him. It's because he's precious. So he is the giver of every good gift. And you understand that the great God still has understanding because he knows how to make an overcomer. He knows how to make an overcomer. So he cannot uh, just create a bunch of uh, worlds, create a bunch of bodies, put you on there. He does everything for you and then picks you up in the end and says, let me show off my overcomers. Let me show you off to my overcomers. Satan could say, okay, that's an overcomer. Let me throw one test or one trial at him and nails him. Hits the ground. I thought you said that was an overcomer. Well, it's probably because you've been answering all the questions for him. Think about a teacher teaching their student. If you give the teacher, the student, all the answers, you don't have to work their way to the problem to get to the answer. You're not done anything for them. But he knows how to get you to the, through the problem to the answer, which he's always the answer. But then you have that pride thing in yourself. I won't ask. I won't ask. I don't need his help. I don't need your help. I don't need their help. I don't ask. He knows all these things and so has to work through every one of those things to get himself down to you. He got to get past your wrath, your malice, your jealousy, all these things that your flesh wants to uh, incarnate and impersonate. And put, I say impersonate because that's not who you are. You're not a children of this world. You're supposed to be a children of that world. And these things that you portrayed in your life were the fruits of this world, not the fruit of that world. Each one of us are guilty. Born in this world, shaped in sin, come this world speaking lies. You understand? I'm not speaking again. Speaking to a bunch of angels tonight. Follow me now. So God knows all these things, all these weaknesses, all the things that you would struggle with. But he also knows the weakness of your flesh just as much as he knows this very worthy adversary he created and designed for you. Now, and you find that if you were to pull up from El Elah, pull him all the way up to now the angels are born. The angels are created. Fully, I don't don't believe they were born. I don't believe there's such thing as a baby angel flying around. I believe that God created them to be full male size, whatever they would be. And you talk about Lucifer and Lucifer sitting before the throne. And Isaiah 14 talks about you were this, you were this, you were this, you were this, until iniquity was found in your heart. Now, iniquity, the difference between sin and iniquity is, iniquity is knowing what what is right and refusing to do it. Knowing what is right and refusing, not just, I'll get to it. Jesus gave a parable for that. You had two sons. One was told by the father, you go out, work in the field. And the one said, oh, I'll go. Sure, sure, I'll go. And then never goes. And then the other one says, I ain't going. I don't care. It's hot. It's this or it's this. But then he just changes his mind. He actually goes and works. So he understands the ones that refuse, absolutely refuse. I just read that to you. That heart of disobedience. That re- there's a no, I don't care what he says. It's a full out speaking of iniquity in their heart. And you find the root back there in Lucifer. Now, you walk now in that time, now that we've grabbed him, we've got him, picked him up. How about Isaiah 14? You pick him up. He was called Lucifer, which meant light bearer. Now, the prophet taught you had three stages of Satan. You have three stages. There's a trinity of Satan. You had him as Lucifer. You had him as Satan. You have him as devil. Now, Lucifer was light bearer. Devil is deceiver. 
Devil is deceiver. You want everybody with me tonight? Lucifer, light bearer. Devil, deceiver. Then you know, uh, uh, Satan, deceiver. Then you have devil is tormentor. You watch that progression. Light bearer, deceiver, tormentor. Light bearer, deceiver, tormentor. Everybody watch that progression. But you see what was always there in his heart. Light bearer, he was just hiding himself amongst the other ones, biding his time until he could ascend like the most high, until he could have worship unto himself like the most high. Everybody understand? We in Bethany were talking today about those white horse, the, the four horse riders, as they begin to come out. They started out as a white horse rider with, with no arrows. White horse rider with no arrows. And you think, and, and for, for 2,000 years, everybody thought since John told that prophecy, well, that was obviously the Lord Jesus. Obviously. Because if you go toward the back of the book, it shows him coming on a white horse, and his name is True and Faithful. That's got to be the same one. Got to be the same one. Everybody drew the wrong conclusion for almost 2,000 years until God put a prophet on this earth to straighten that out. I don't know. You can ask any theologian, any seminary, all those things. Well, yeah, that's obviously Jesus. Anybody want to disagree? Anybody want to disagree? Okay, we're on the same page. So he comes as that white horse rider. He comes in real soft and real innocent and real just, and we were talking about the different seals, and each seal is opening up all the way down to the sixth seal. And we understand the sixth seal is not completely wrapped up until the tribulation is done. It had foretaste of it in Stalin and Hitler and Mussolini and World War and all those uh, different things. Like You've had a little foretaste of it. You've had the, the ox age, and you've had different tortures and things that are meant to be a foretaste of that sixth seal, that seal being poured out of on. But then you, but when it starts out, it comes in real gentle and real, almost kind old priest-like. Almost kind old priest-like. Real, uh, it was asked, Jesus asked this statement. He said about Malachi chapter 3, there with John the Baptist. He said, he said, what was John the Baptist? This is Jesus. What was John the Baptist? How did he come in? Was he a real nice looking guy? Did he kiss the babies and, and, and was just the nicest and just the most easy to be around? Told the Pharisees, you guys, you guys are doing great. You're doing good. I love how you're, I got to stop. I'm going to get real facetious. But never one time, did he? Never he walked in and said, the axe shall be laid to the root of the tree. If you won't produce fruit, you'll be chopped down and thrown in the fire. You're nothing but a den of vipers. And for him to call them a den of vipers, it runs you all the way back to Genesis 3. He's standing there with a revelation of Genesis 3. He said, you're of your father, the devil, through the serpent, down to Cain. And they're like, how dare you call me serpent seed? How, how, how? We're not born of fornication. He told Jesus the same thing. We're not born of fornication. They weren't confused. Does he mean Genesis 3 or mean? What's he talking about? No, they knew for sure what he was talking about. Now, if you look at what God... Okay, let's just skip past that just a minute. Let's get back to light bearer, deceiver, tormentor. So as he starts out with iniquity in his heart, it's found in his heart. And the way that iniquity, the way that anything is found out is by the fruit you produce. So you think God was taken aback there in Isaiah 14 when this was found in Lucifer's heart? I never knew that would be there. Just, no, he knew it was there. You, no, you, come on now. You, you think he didn't know who Judas was the whole time? You think the whole time he didn't know Judas? You're the son of perdition. You're not just in devil possessed, but you are a devil. This is just the way your Lord is. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's kind. 
So everybody still with me? Don't make me jump back to Cain's sacrifice again. He told Cain, if you'll just do like Abel did, I'll accept you too. Looking at the very first seed of the serpent, saying, I'll accept you too. But he knew that was in his heart. God didn't predestinate sin. God knew it would happen because God chose to give you a choice. He chose to give you a choice. So he didn't want a bride. He didn't want a wife to walk up and grab her by the back of the hair and say, you're mine. You're now Mrs. Jesus Christ. And she's kicking and screaming. That kind of wife won't stay with you long. First chance, thou escape. First chance, thou run away. First chance, they'll go a whoring and leave you. First chance. He wanted someone that no matter the worst of times, on the worst of days, gets up each morning and says, I want him. Tomorrow, when the battle is hot, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. I can smell the smoke. I can hear the demon screeching. I still choose him. No matter what happens, I choose him. No matter what day it is, I choose him. That's what he's always wanted. He didn't want to come along and say, okay, I pick you, pick you, pick you, let's go. No, he wanted you to say, I agree. I thank God he picked me. Thank God he chose me. Oh, it's marvelous in my sight. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for what he did for me. I love the... um, <clears throat> the little the little story Brother Ram told about the, the, the son of the armor uh, armor what I don't remember what it's called, but he picked that little wash woman, little wash girl, because he saw the character in her. And God loved that character. And he said, That's the kind of wife. She'll be a good wife to me. He said, I'll come back and I'll get you. And so she I believe it. I believe it. And everybody that knew her said, You're crazy. He never picked you. Why would he pick you? And she's no doubt going, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know why he picked me. I don't know why he picked me. But I know that I know that I know that I know that he picked me. I say praise the Lord. So does God know that you needed a worthy adversary? He let Satan come into place. He let Satan come to place. Even when you find him there, Satan beguiling Eve in the garden. God wasn't, God wasn't uh, you know, taken aback. He wasn't took off guard and said, man, I sure wish you didn't. He walked up that day, oh, you've been talking to uh, Lucifer, hadn't you? No, he knew what would happen. But he done told him. He laid his law down. And just like you tonight, will you believe his word? Right. He laid his word down. Will you believe it? And, and Eve made that choice. You know what? No, I won't. No, I won't. And it was that one simple choice. I won't do it. Iniquity was found there in her too. I won't do it. Knew what was right. Refused to do it. We're not told a lot of details about that encounter. We're not told about a lot of details. We're not told uh, just strictly what all happened as far as that. And I don't think I want to know. But I know that it happened. That Satan had a way to get in the serpent. And he had a way to beguile Eve. And he had a way to do what he did. Without getting too plain. And then you have what occurred from it. Now, Adam being a son of God, being the son of God, the very first one, the very first son of God, standing there, he had to make a choice. He actually absolutely had to make a choice because he knew in his heart that God could destroy her, erase her, and make him a new one. Now, you don't know how long they had together. We don't know from the time that Rib was separated and he saw her to the time Adam. We don't know that exact date. Let's say it was 10 years. Say he had 10 years with her. What if it was 10 minutes? What if it was 10 seconds? And she just walked right away and something happened, but he still said, no, she's mine. She's flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, spirit of my spirit. And he said, I'll die for her. 
The time part doesn't matter. He didn't need to get to know her. He come out with that revelation right out the gate. He looks at her and said, that's my wife. He says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, spirit of my spirit. Right away, that's my wife. Right there, that's her, right there. And so nothing else mattered. Whatever happened, and then she made that mistake. And, and you know what he did is step in the type of a redeemer. So you went from the light bearer down to being the deceiver. And that's where he stepped in and was able to deceive Eve, deceive through the serpent and bring that down. And now, now the world gets to know him as a tormentor, as a tormentor. See, before that, we've said it many times, there was never a bad day. Never one time was a bad day. No one ever died. No one ever was sick. Never, 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 never until that day when sin entered the world. And that perversion, that deformation began right there. Satan had designs on them. Satan had designs on them, what his plan was. See, God tells Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. They're plans to prosper. They're good. You all know the scripture. That it's what God's plans for you. I've told you many times, Satan has always had plans for you. Satan has designs on you. He wants you to be stripped. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all his plans for you. He wants to tear you down in that like manner. <laughs> Never wants to love you, never wants to be your buddy, never wants to hang out with you, never, never, never. His sole purpose is death to you. He hates you. He hates every demon with him. He hates every angel that ever fell. All he can do is hate. That's all he can do is hate. His sole goal is to get you in the lake of fire with him. That's his sole goal. So when now you see him now as a tormentor, and you can walk through the last 6,000 years, and you can look at his resume as a tormentor. Now, it's not just him alone. The book of Revelation tells us how that dragon took his tail and pulled a third of the angels down with him. Everybody understands the scripture that he pulled a third of the angels down with him. So now what he was once a light bearer, which any other angel would be, Paul would say, if I or an angel from heaven brings you anything different than what's been preached, let them be accursed. Many people struggle with that. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, You, just a man... Just a man saying that if you or an angel from heaven brings anything different than what's been preached right here, let them be accursed. That word curse means name taken out. Final. Who do you think you are that you're as high as an angel? Who do you think you are that you're as high as an angel? He said, I got a revelation. And then learn that heavens and earth will pass away, but his word will never fail. You have a revelation of what? Revelation of the word and what the word says. <clears throat> Did it matter to him from that point on what Gamaliel taught? Did it matter to him from that point on what the sect of the Pharisees taught? It never mattered to him from that point on when he saw the Lord Jesus himself. And he met him for himself. And now he has the same revelation that Peter does in Matthew 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the anointed. Thou art the living King. You're the one who I'll serve. You're the one I will die for. And most importantly, you're the one I'll live for. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. He said, I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed. Not ashamed. Not ashamed of him. Not ashamed of him. But he said, if I or an angel from heaven brings something different. And so, well, obviously, if Gabriel or, or, or Michael or Wormwood or any of these angels would bring, that's not who he's talking about. Because they have a resume as well. These, these angels have resumes. You can trace them back to the Bible. Michael and Gabriel and Wormwood, and there's another one. I think nobody can't remember his name right now. They have a resume of only doing what God says. 
That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? But that's pretty solid. You can trace them back 20,000 years, eon of time, only doing what he said. Lucifer made his claim. They said, that's wrong. We won't stand with you. We stand with the Most High. I don't care what you preach, Satan. I don't care how you sing, Satan. I don't care how you look, Satan. We stay with the Most High. I don't care what you come up with. I don't care your deceiving words, your enticing words, your man's wisdom, your angel's wisdom, what you look like. None of those things. We stay with the Most High. And only with the Most High. Let every man's word be a lie and God's be truth. He said, if I are an angel from heaven... So it's already come out of his mouth. He's already yielded his lips. He, God's already stepped in and used his microphone to say what had to be said. And it was recorded as thus. Now, he said, if I, even if he was to backslide, fall away from the faith and come back and say, well, I was wrong then when I said I was wrong when I said that. He's like, no, even if I backslide, no matter what happens in my life, if I was to ever be go a coward way out and recant, no, 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 that's right, I'd be wrong. He said, not just me, but any angel from heaven. And again, he's not talking about the right angel, the two-third. He's talking about the one-third. That one-third, when they went with Lucifer, they went from being light-bearer to deceiver to tormentor. Now, last week was the anniversary of, (coughs) excuse me, Brother Ram preaching uh, two different messages, two different nights in a row. One one, One night was demonology, physical realm. The next night was demonology, religious realm. And in the physical realm, I was sharing this with Beth and Sister Deborah uh, earlier. What Brother Ram was talking about, what, how the, the tormentors attack your body and the way they come at your body. And, and again, this is so unbelievable that a man with a seventh grade education in that same sermon breaks everything back down to the very first cell you ever was. He brings it all the way back down to the tiniest, and I'm, I'm doing my hands like this as if you could ever see it. The tiniest cell, the, they say that you start right in your spine, and that's where you start being created first. And they build cell up on top of cell, and on top of cell, and on top of cell. So he said, if you were to be stripped all the way back down to that very verse beginning atom, that very verse beginning cell, and that would be what begun your body. What you began to eat and grow out and push out and push out, start growing bones, start growing marrow, start growing veins, skin, fibrous material, all those things until now you stand here as a fully grown uh, man or woman. But if you were to rip all that thing, strip it all the way back, take it and break it all the way back down that very first cell, you still can't see you. That's just your body. That's just the tabernacle. As Paul would say, it's just a terrestrial thing that you live in. But your soul, that eternal soul of God, that's what God has redeemed. That's that seed gene of God that's placed in you. But it's inserted into this body. So once it's inserted into this body, Satan can't get to the soul. Not if God's good at his job. So what he goes after is that body. And the way that they attack the body, and, and there's another place he talked about the way that cancer is formed. Most commonly, cancer is formed through some type of bruise, some type of affliction happening, and then that begins to break down, and then cancer sets in. Everybody's got a cancer cell already in their body. You already do. You don't, you don't just get cancer, but cancer starts to get very prominent in your body. Everybody's got cancer cells already in their body. So you also have in your body, you have antibodies. 
antibodies that are in your blood cells that fight off any infection, that fight off any germ that comes to do your, your, your terrestrial form harm. And what they do is anything that comes, whether it's some little cold virus, some little flu, some little, uh, you name it, these all wide gambit of variety of viruses, those antibodies are rushed to that area, wherever it's at, sinuses, um, head, chest, lungs, throat, ear infection, a leg infection, bone, blood, whatever it might be, they rush there to defend you at all costs. Defend you at all costs. These antibodies go there and flood it and they give their lives to save you. They give those antibodies, give their lives trying to save this body to make sure you stay well. Now, the thing that's doing the attacking is a demon spirit, the tormentor. He comes at your body in such a way was, I've got I've to find a way in. I've got to find a way. Aaron looks good and strong, but maybe, maybe I can get him to step on a rock wrong and kind of throw his ankle a little bit. And now I'm going to get in that ankle and I'm going to be tweaking and twisting. I'm going to get in the blood cell. I'm going to get in the, 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 all the, the vascular system and all those things. I'm going to start working and working and working until I get a grip. And I claw my way further in. You did hear me call him a tormentor, right? I didn't say, you know, your best neighbor, your best friend. His only goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Only goal, steal, kill, and destroy. So he's a tormentor. And he's doing anything he can to get any kind of grip, any kind of hold on your life. He does the same thing with your spirit. Right now, I'm just talking about your body. He does the same thing in your spirit, but in your body. So he does that to try to get a grip on you. So now that, that, that demonic life can now be formed inside of you. You see the, anti, the negative and the positive real quick. Satan's desire is to get a negative life growing inside of you, to get darkness growing inside of you. That way that he can reign in his darkness and his evil, evility or whatever you want to call it in your body until you die. Satan's never plan is to make you bigger. He's never make you stronger, never make you tougher, never make you live. It's always to kill you. But he wants to get his life inside of you. That sound familiar? Someone else wants to get his life inside of you to save you. Not to destroy you, but to save you. To give you life, not just everlasting, not just life immortal, but life eternal. Which only comes from the quickening, life-giving source only place it comes from is him so satan gets in he gets this grip in and now it forms or grows some kind of cancerous mass or something like that sometimes it looks like a snake the way it wraps around different organs you might see an x-rays or ct scan looks like a snake so it has a life of itself it has a life which is not your life it's trying to pull life from you to keep it alive it's pulling from your blood it's pulling from your life anything to get to keep it living <laughs> Does that sound uh, too weird to anybody? Okay, so its sole goal is to put you in a grave. It's its sole goal. So the prophet taught us. He said the way you kill that thing, through faith, you just simply take its life. You make it let go. It's not through screaming. It's not through jumping up and down. It's not through spitting and throwing things. It's no, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, take your hands off. And it happens. Amen. Tumor, cyst, Amen. cancer, whatever it is, it has to let go. Right. Now, he also taught that in three days' time, as that thing starts to break up, yeah. 
For example, if you were to take some kind of foreign object, let's just say a two-by-four about that long, and put that two-by-four inside of you, that two-by-four could kill you because it's a foreign object. People, when they have heart transplant, liver transplant, any kind of transplant, they have to take anti-rejection meds the rest of their lives or their body will reject it and it'll turn septic and they'll die from it. You, you, you follow me so far? It'll make you very, very sick until you die. So when the life is now come out of that demon, out of that cancer, that malignancy, that bruise, whatever it might be, now it, as it starts to die and starts to break up, your body's going to break it back down and flush it out the waste system and do any, any impurities in your body. It's the way your body breaks it up. You're going to feel sicker after three days than you ever have. Ever, 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 ever have. I just thought I was sick before I got healed. Just thought I hurt before I got healed. But then I got healed, and now I'm way, 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 way worse. Must not have got my healing. He says the first thing a human body will say, I must not have got my healing. But three days ago, you're running and jumping and shouting and, and all these wonderful things. What happened? Were you lying? Were you pretending? Were you faking? What was going on? No, I really felt good then. Brother Ram told about a, a man that had have, been healed of completely blinded out cataracts in his meeting. Completely blinded out. Couldn't see because cataracts had so gripped both eyeballs. He said God heals him in a meeting and the man is reading a newspaper up before the microphone proving to people that he's been healed. Reading a newspaper. A blind man reading a newspaper. Three days later, blind as can be. Blind as can be. Well, this is where people say, I guess Brother Ram hypnotizing. I guess he was a soothsayer and tricked him and just, you know, him now, him now, him now. You know how many people think this? You know how many people think this? Where do they get that from? How many times can you think, and all, we've got a lot of different people, all different walks of life, sitting in this room right now, have read a lot of different books, whether it was uh, Bible, school books, fantasy, fiction, nonfiction, whatever it might can be. Have you ever come across one place where you heard the devil made someone's life better? Nobody? But you look back in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it was told that when God, when Jesus was healing people, you're of your father the devil. You must be doing those things, the house of Beelzebub. You have no basis whatsoever of Satan ever helping anyone. Ever, 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 ever. So when that doubt comes in, after this looks different than what you expected, when that doubt comes in, when this looks different than what you expected, your doubt, your unbelief, or fear will resurrect whatever was killed. Can we find a scriptural precedence for this? What's your mind running to? What's your mind running to? You've all been reading the Bible. Mine goes right to this. Jesus says, when an unclean spirit is cast out of a man... That he walks in dry places, and then he comes back to the same house, and he finds it swept and garnished. He goes get seven worse than himself, and he comes back, and the end of that man is way worse than the beginning. See, I call those things scriptural precedents. This is proof. I don't care what else you got. This is my proof. What I don't care what else you got is my proof right here. I can prove it by the word. Heard a man that was standing on a college campus, I don't know how long ago, it could be an old video, and he had an atheist walk up to him, and this atheist was, was first was kind of admonishing for him. He said, I think it's, he had, anyway, it was a sarcastic thing to say, but, but then he kind of apologized for that. But then he said, he said, me being an atheist, 
He said, Ethan being an atheist, he said, I've, I've wondered before in my life if there is a God. I've wondered about it, if there actually is a God. And, but, but I have seen no evidence whatsoever of it. He said, this is his statement, no evidence whatsoever that I've seen a God. He said, so there must not be a God. So that's why I'm standing here as an atheist. He said, what would you recommend to someone that's an atheist to be able to come to an understanding of this one you call a, all good? Where would, how would you recommend me to do that? And the man said, that's easy. He said, I would take the Bible. He said, I would take it solely in this place right here. I would say, let's only say the Bible is historic proof. Let's just say that. Let's look back at the Bible and with an open heart and an open mind and look back through and say, okay, I can see that was historical. That was historical. You know, I understand about what Titus did in, in 73 AD and all the different things about the Babylonian reign. I can see that. We can track back to the flood. We can track back the days of Peleg. We can understand when the, all these things happen. When we can find it through all the other sections of history. Okay, those things seem to be lining up. He said, you got to do this with an open mind. You can't be, I was telling Bethany this earlier, you can't take, I don't know French. I don't know the word. I don't know anything about French. I can't take a French book, How to Speak French, and open it up and say, you know, that's not right. That's not right. Who do they think they are? Who do they think they are? What do you think that is? That's not proven. That's not true. I know nothing about French. Nothing about the language of French. But I'm going to go back through. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. You know how many people do that every day with the Bible? Every day. You start Googling right now Jesus Christ, see all the garbage you pull up. They hate him. They absolutely hate him. They can't stand him. In, in Romans chapter 1, and it said that God gives them up to these vile affections because they refused to retain God in their knowledge. Okay? Scriptural precedence again. What happens if you do retain God in your knowledge? So this man says, okay, so if now we've got you to understand that the Bible is a historical precedent, we can say, okay, it's a historical precedent. I've looked at it with an open heart, and I've now come along, and I say, I can believe that according to that. He said, now, with that same open heart, let it prove to you that God exists. Then walk away and see what you say. But it's got to be with an open heart. Because the Bible also says Satan hath blinded their eyes to the things of truth. Again, I can jump back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They're standing right there beside the prince of life, the king of kings, and they can't see him. They hate him. They don't want him. But most of them could quote the Old Testament backwards and forwards, could quote it. They could quote Isaiah 9, 6. They can quote Isaiah 7. They could quote it backwards and forwards. But he is standing right there, and they said, mm-mm, not him. Mm-mm, not him. Uh, we, we had a question come up a while back about the, um, what's the, what is, where, where that was worded about? Oh my goodness, it's out of the book of Acts. Believing Jews, believing, what was that? But anyway, it was, it was those that had come along and that, that, that might have been your converts or proselytes, that too. And then Paul comes in, they hear Paul's report, they believe Paul's report. They believe what Paul says. They believe Paul's testimony. And then the Bible says unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Jews stirred them up to where that now they're against Paul. The, the Bible says unbelieving Jews, those that have blinded their eyes. So you see where that doubt and that fear and that, that the unbelief gets a grip and holds on to and then to pull that with it. And the same thing with your physical body, any kind of sickness like that, that you can actually bring that thing back from the dead. And now it's got a better grip on you. That's in the physical realm. 
So we talked a lot about the spiritual realm, the spirit of your, of your, of your being, this spirit, this of your essence, whatever you want to use to quantify this persona of you, body, soul, and spirit. That the similar kind of grip can be done on you through um, uh, the way you were raised, the way you were talked to, the way you were treated, different people, different things, different pastors, different ministers, different people you had confidence in, all those different things, and it puts bruises on you to where now that you've probably got your heart hardened. You've got all bruises and welted up to where you need a healer. That's why I tell you all the time, he'll heal you body, soul, and spirit. He'll make you completely whole. You've got to say, Lord, take my spirit, heal me. I can't remember where it is in the Psalms that it said, heal me, Lord, and I'll be healed. Cleanse me and I'll be cleansed. There's a song about that. Heal me, Lord. No, it's not right. I can't remember, but it, and I'm like, I don't understand that. I don't understand that song because he was wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquities, and by his stripes I was healed. Amen. I don't understand that. So he already healed me. And then that revelation of that clicked in. You have to agree. It's not because you were just born a certain day. Not just because you born look a certain way or somebody's a certain child or grandchild or great-grandchild or, or you, you, know, you could trace your, your Abrahamic seed all the way back to Abraham. None of those things, but because he took pity on you Amen. and had mercy on you and he healed you. See, <clears throat> unbelief is such a very powerful thing. Unbelief is what it keeps each one of us here tonight sick in some way or another. Because it is thus saith the Lord that you'd be healed. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. Not one ailment you have, not one sickness, not one struggle. He said, it's finished. So why are we sitting here tonight with any little thing? It should be this simple. I love how the prophet would talk about Moses' uh, script bag. Hey, what, do you, what you got in the bag? They go to him, Moses, I've got this, I've got this. Well, let me reach in here. He come back with a different thing. Moses, I got this. Well, let me reach in here. And he give that to you, you'd be well. Give that to you, you'd be well. It's just a type of Christ. But you won't run to him. You won't go to him, Lord, I have this. I don't know if he'll help me with this. You know, I wasn't a really good boy the other day. I didn't do this. I didn't read my Bible enough. I didn't, read, I didn't pray enough. I was probably didn't fellowship enough. I didn't do this enough. I probably didn't do enough in school. I probably didn't do good enough on my taxes. All these different things that you would let keep you away from this promise is unto you. And to your children and your children's children and as many far off as the Lord our God should call. And we let that doubt and unbelief keep us from the promise of God. And we would live beneath our privileges. Amen. I tell you all the time that I'm so thankful for what God sent our day, the prophet God sent of our day. Because you did not know before that. I don't know if anyone ever been taught before that. Anyone ever taught before that that the Lord Jesus Christ can't heal you right now? This is a very simple thing. And you're first, you're rare back. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? He said, if the Lord Jesus Christ was standing in front of you right now and you were sick and you would ask him, heal me, he would say, I can't. I already did. I already did. I can prove this to you by the scripture. You know, I can prove it by the scripture, but have you ever heard it before, before him? You ever heard anybody else say that before him? No, they're like, oh, just keep praying. One day you'll be healed. Keep praying. One day you'll be healed. Keep praying. One day you'll be healed. The Lord Jesus said, I already did that. It's the same thing as saying, oh, if God just one day would send us a Savior, if he could just one day send us a Redeemer, if he could just one day, if he could just. 
He said, it's finished. It's finished. Back to our chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Without faith, you won't be able to finish next to this. Which we have heard. Which we have seen. With our eyes, which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled of the word of life. Word of life is a person. It's not just the book. It's not just those records. He's a person. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is his word. He is God. He's God alone to be able to have a revelation of him. I shared that with you recently. That I think it's an adoption series. The Ramsey, you ask me all the time, are you a Christian? First thing out the gate, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Presbyterian. It depends on who you talk to, all those different things. And they'll ask him, are you really? Oh, yeah, I'm a Baptist to the core. I'm a Presbyterian to the core. I'm a Lutheran to the core. I'm a, I know people that are Catholic to the core. Catholic to the core. He said, I only want to be Jesus Christ to the core. Amen. All the way to the core. I only want to be the Lord Jesus Christ all the way to my core. <laughs> he said, our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we've seen it. The life was manifested and we've seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested unto us that's a right now scripture i'll read it again to you to prove it to you it's right now for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested unto us Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The bride's testimony now has become, when you've seen me, you've seen him. Because as he is, so are we in this world. His word's not mine. His word's not mine. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly, truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you <clears throat> that you'd have a bad day. That you're all knotted up, can't sleep at night. That you have a burden, ache in your heart. I just don't stand how they talk to me. like, And they say that to me. And they testify and all these different things. He says that your joy may be full. Amen. That your joy may be full. He said this then is the message which we've heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Amen. No darkness at all. So then he goes on to say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So I like John in this way that John will just tell you flat your face, you're a liar. Your fruits are not producing what they're supposed to produce. You're saying you're, that you're walking in his light, but all you're doing is producing darkness. It doesn't work like that. You cannot take a good seed and put it in the good ground and put good water and good light on it and not come forth of what it is. Can't be done. He said that by their fruits you'll know them. It's by their fruits you'll know them. <clears throat> and if you're saying you got fellowship with him, yet you walk in the darkness, he said we're lying, not do not the truth. So what is the darkness? Paul covers that up. He tells you what the ways of darkness is. Through your anger, your strife, your malice, your bitterness. All those things that love the darkness rather than the light. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. This next part is wonderful. We have fellowship one with another. 
So right there. So we can't fellowship because we don't agree the same way. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, no, no. Can't fellowship. I shared that with you about after Brother Danny preached Friday night. I told him, I said, brother, that was wonderful. I enjoyed that sermon so much. He said, it could not have been that good without all the fellowship and the unity of the brethren in the room. Could not have been that good. Absolutely could not. He said, it was all God. Don't get me wrong. But it would not have been that much of a success if it wasn't for the fellowship amongst the people in the room. Amen. Now, I felt that before. You got people that are fighting you, that are doubting you, all these different things. And it's just like, oh, sure, the power. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I shared that with you recently, what the difference between means to being a sinner and to have sins. From being a sinner, see, a sinner don't care. A sinner don't care. A sinner, he knows he's going to hell. He knows there's nothing there. He's just a sinner. You know, there's no hope for them whatsoever. But you're not a sinner anymore. You've been redeemed. You've been called in the family of God. You've been brought into that adoption. You've been brought into that life, but yet you still live in this body. You still make mistakes. You have, you have things that you're weak in. You have little doubts, little things like that that's weak in. And sin is doubt. Sin is unbelief. And you know yourself, and you're looking. If you could grab yourself by the throat and just smack the mess out of your face, what is wrong with you? Look what it says. And then you look back in the mirror, man, that flesh. Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. So there's a difference between sin, iniquity, make mistakes you make, but you're not a sinner anymore. He's redeemed you. You'll make mistakes. You have things that, God, I need you to keep cleansing me. I need you to keep washing me because I'm still making mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm still in this world. And he says, I'm a gentle, gracious, loving Savior. I got you. I praise him for that. He said, if we say that we have no sin, he's back to calling you a liar again. I have no sin. I have no doubt. I have no unbelief. That's what sin is, is unbelief. It means to miss the mark. I thank God he didn't throw me away from my unbelief. I thank God that the first time I didn't understand something right or misunderstood or, or told something wrong, that he didn't grab me by the back of my hair, chuck me right in the lake of fires. I'm done with that boy. No, he stands there and is like, whenever you're done, whenever you're done, then he takes back like the kind shepherd. Yes, sir. I thank God for mercy. I thank God for his mercy. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. His word is not in us. I want to pick up another scripture. Where are we at? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 35. We'll start with there in 1535. Some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Some will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body will they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest <coughs> is not quickened except it die. And that word quicken here it means to make alive. 
That which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. Very interesting, simple way that Paul is laying this out. He said, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption, it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there's a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And I'll stop right there just a minute. The last Adam was made to make you alive. He was giver of life. He's the one that can quicken and bring you into life. Quicken. Now, you think about what what a baptism is supposed to be. A baptism is supposed to be an outward expression of an inward work. Only the water doesn't save you. It's an outward expression of an inward work. It is supposed to be whomever's doing the baptism laying a dead man into the water. No different than you digging a hole in the ground and putting a body into it. That's what it's meant to be, a type of a cold, watery grave. You're supposed to bury a dead man, and when they come back up, they're alive in Christ Jesus. Too many times, someone that's alive comes back up. It won't stay dead. It won't stay dead. I thank God for having mercy. But you understand the point. It's supposed to be put down a dead man, bring back up a living man. In that same type of Adam being the very first man, the very first Adam to hit it around the nose, the very first Adam, then you had a second Adam that come and fixed everything Adam messed up. I heard a brother say recently, and this is uh, a wonderful uh, 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 way to describe this. He said, say, for example, you have seven men climbing up the side of a rock face or an ice uh, shelf or something like that. And the very first man loses his footing and starts to fall. They're all tied together through a rope. First man is climbing up. He trips and starts to fall. He goes off, rips the second man off, rips the third man off. Rips the fourth man off, the fifth man off, the sixth man off. This seventh man is different. This seventh man is strong enough to be able to snatch all the other them and pull them right back. How was the link? It's through his own blood. He grabbed you and pulled you back. I love that. You understand the, the struggles Adam had. And, and like I said, Adam never had a bad day. Adam never had a weak body. Adam never had an argument with his wife. Never had an argument with his kids. Never had a rough day at work. None of those things. But he still slipped and made a mistake. God brought them all back. I thank God for such redemption. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. That's in Genesis 2. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit, a life giver, a someone that can make sure. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. Now, 
Now, you understand Paul's not trying to contradict the Bible. He's not trying to contradict where God in the beginning made them male and female. He created them in spirit form first. And then he created a body. He's not trying to contradict that. He's trying to pick up right there in the flesh of Adam. Right there, it was the flesh of Adam that made that mistake. It was the flesh of Adam that had those passions and those desires looking at what Satan had deformed Eve into. Satan had deformed Eve into. Satan's not a creator. He had designs on her. But the Ram taught that he deformed her. God has the power to transform. Satan deformed her. And the way he did that was he instituted, he was able to bring in a sexual lust and desire through the lust of the flesh to where that now, because that's why Jesus said, he, they come out and they're covered with clothes. And he says, he's, he's like, why are you wearing clothes? Did you eat of that tree? Again, a very strange statement. Why are you wearing clothes? And the Bible tells us they took fig leaves and covered up just three spots on a woman. That's strange. Why not just cover up her belly button? Why not cover up her shoulders? Maybe, why do they cover those things up? That's through where life comes from. Satan has perverted life. He deformed life. He was able to get in there and twist the way that life would now come. And God's not going, oh my God, I never saw this film. What happened? No, he knew what was happening. The way you can prove that he knew it would happen was she just happens to have a uterus. And all the other cells it takes to birth that way just happened to. You realize that every other creature on the planet, every other creature on the planet was created male and female right out the gate. Right out the gate. Male and female right out the gate. And they were all told, bring forth seed after thy kind. Bring forth seed after that kind. Now, when she's born, they were never meant to bring forth seed through a sexual way. They're supposed to be a spoken word. Spoken word, spoken word, spoken word. And you, you can see that because of the way that they are. They didn't have belly buttons. They wouldn't have needed it. They would have been spoken out of the mouth of God. But Satan's power to deform, Satan's power to form, come in and was able to tempt her in such a way through the, she had no idea she had. And now she's probably walking differently. If she was wearing clothes, now she's dressing differently. I share that with you about what the modern, the modern thought of the world today is. You look outside. We was driving home today, and, and it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This girl's walking down the street half naked. You find them all the time. They want to mow the yard at 5 o'clock at night. Hot of the day. Out here, it's 4 to 5. It's one of the hottest parts of the day. And why wouldn't you do that at 8 in the morning or 9 in the morning? What's your purpose being in your yard by the street dressed like that when men are driving home for work? What's your purpose? It's not to be cool. Because your skin covered up, sweated will keep you cool. So where did that thought come from? Satan knew that he could use that in a way to steal men. Be able to turn them a certain way. And he deformed the way and path of life. He did that to deform. To pull them away from God's purpose. He didn't realize that God allowed him to do it. Because you have a permissive will of God, you have a perfect will of God. Permissive will of God will always bring you back to the perfect will of God. God has a way to do things. God has a way to do things, perfect way to do things. But a lot of times in our flesh, he in his mercy, then he'll bring you right back. It was never his plan for you to stay out in the weeds. It was never his plan for you to grow up here, think this. It was never his plan for those things. But God will take it and use it. What the devil meant for evil, he'll use it for his good and for his glory. 
And again, God didn't predestinate these things. It was not his will, okay, we're going to make the worst sin, we're going to have the worst sex, we're going to have all these different things, and pollution, and smoking, and drinking, and, and I don't mean pollution of the air, I mean pollution of bodies, pollution of mind, pollution of thought. Do all those things so that you would understand that you do need me. Amen. Unless you've ever been sick, you wouldn't need a healer. Unless you was ever lost, you wouldn't need a redeemer. Unless your mind had never been torn down to where you're just in shambles, and you have no hope, no joy, no peace, you would never need a restorer. I thank him for his mercy. The first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is the the Lord from heaven. No bones about it. No messing around. This is what's happening. The first man was Adam. He was God of this earth. But then the God come down. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. I'll keep going. Behold, I show you a mystery. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We'll not all sleep, which you understand the way Jesus taught that. Sleep is just the way a believer goes to sleep. They go, they go into the ground. They go into the grave. That's not dead. That's not dead. The word dead is eternally separated. The word dead means eternally separated. He said about Jairus' daughter. She sleeps. They're like, you're crazy. They're laughing to scorn. You have Lazarus. He's not dead. He sleeps. They're like, oh, that's great. He's getting him some rest. He's like, no, you would call it dead. I just say sleep. That's what you'd call it. <clears throat> but he's not dead. He's asleep. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now you're understanding order of resurrection. You have first death. You have second death. First death, second death. Second death is eternal separation. Burn, done, gone away. I said eternal. I did not mean eternal hell. I mean you're gone. You're annihilated, over, at second death. First death is in this body going out, then you're raised up at the white throne judgment. If you don't, a seed of God, if you're not a foolish virgin, you're raised up at the white seat of judgment. At the white throne judgment, and you're either going on the left or you're going to be on the right. And you understand the, the grace and mercy of God in that. Jesus talks about that as a parable. He tells the goats, you're on my left, you have the sheep on the right. And he's telling the goats on his left, he said, look, if, if, I'm going to cast you in the darkness because you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't comfort me when I was lonely. You didn't visit me when I was alone. You didn't, uh, you didn't you know, visit the fatherless, all those different things. And you didn't give me a drink. You didn't feed me, all those different things. And they said, when did we, when did we never not do that? Then he's just, okay, now you on my side here, I'm going to give you return life because you fed me, because you clothed me, because you gave me a place to sleep, because you gave me a couple of drink of, a drink of cold water. And you can go on eternal life. And they're like, when did we do that? When did we've never seen you before? When did we do that? He said, when you did it unto the least of these. Amen. You realize right there he wants you to do something? Yes, Just do something. Do something. Can't even give someone a cup of cold water. He probably look as awkward as can be. Will you, will you take that? What are you doing? I'm trying to be on the right. I want to be on the right. Just do something for the Lord. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we just shall all be changed. In a moment. In a moment. 
and again, back to your experience we started with earlier when you had your experience. The first one you can think of, that moment that you met him, that something started to change. Uh, I think, I can't remember exactly how the testimony goes. There's a brother that was sitting in a car dealership and someone brought in a little pamphlet or something about that, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saw it and something pricked his heart. And then he come to, we got into prayer line, Brother Brown, and I can't remember exactly how that went. He said something on the lines, he's like, I, I, want to, I want to change my life and I want to live for the Lord. And the, Brother Brown told me, he said, you realize that when you did that then, that's when the change started. Because before that, you didn't want God. You wanted nothing to do with him. You weren't looking for him whatsoever. But now you're like, I, I would like that. I would want to know him. I would want to go that way. And right then, a change happened. It's not a poof. It's a here a little, there a little. Those that will endure till the end. You understand that the rapture is not a flowery bed of ease. It's not a come strolling in when you got your iced tea and just kick back. Oh, guys, we, none of those things. It's a fight. It's a tomorrow fight. It's the next day fight. It's the next day. Pressing the fight to the enemy's gates. To him that overcomes. To him that overcomes. He said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. See, I love that. Again, back to italicize. It must. Why? Because he said so. But I struggle in a lot of areas of my life. There's a lot of things that I really struggle in, but it will happen. It must happen. But I have these weaknesses and things like that. No, it's going to happen. How do you know? He said so. He said so. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. He said, oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. Unbelief, doubt, misunderstanding. The sting of death. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Not because the law was bad, but because the law was misunderstood. The law was not used the way God meant it to be used. But this is where we find ourselves right here. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. If we all stand on our feet tonight and had the musicians come, did not get far at all in that, but we'll stop right there because of time. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I want to say thanks. Oh, thanks. Lord, I give you thanks for all you have done oh I am so blessed my soul has found rest oh Lord I give you thanks oh I want to say thanks oh thanks Lord I give you thanks for all My soul has found rest, 
Oh, Lord, I give you. Do you mean that tonight? Sing it again. I want to say thanks. Oh, thanks. Lord, I give you thanks for all you have done. Oh, I am so blessed. My soul has found rest. Oh, Lord, I give you thanks. Jesus, I just Thank you, Lord, for being such a wonderful, present help in every time of trouble. We thank you, Lord, for keeping your word. Lord, you are so amazing to your people. Pray tonight, Lord, as your word has come forth, seeming a little scattered tonight. But, Lord, I pray you put it right where it needs to go. We appreciate your patience and your gentleness with us, Lord. So many times in my life, 
I had to be knocked back into place, and I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, as we continue this walk, and Lord, we've got things that we struggle with, but Lord, you're still so good and so kind and gentle, and we thank you for your mercy, Lord. I pray for our brothers and sisters here tonight as we would leave this room, that we would never leave your presence, but as we would travel home, that we would know in the car that you're there in the midst, Lord. And for any question that we might have, you begin to minister and meet that need, Lord, and answer that question. Lord, your word says that, that we'll find you when we diligently seek you with all of our hearts. Help us, Lord, tonight to begin more diligently, more sold out, more sincere, Lord, seeking than we ever have in all of our lives. Lord, your word says that we'll find you. I pray that you who gives wisdom and revelation, that, Lord, you would let that rock of revelation find good placement in our hearts and in our lives, that you continue to build on it, Lord, higher and higher and higher. We don't want to stumble at your word. We don't want to stumble at you, Lord. We want to believe every part of you and walk with you daily in your light. No darkness, but in you. Help each one of us to draw nearer and closer than we ever have before. That more of ourselves can die out than ever before. That we'd become more sincere and more diligent, Lord Jesus, than ever before. We surrender all that we are to you, Lord. Once again, I surrender this entire church to you. Not just the people, but all of me, Lord. All of the building, all that there is, Lord, it's in your hands. Not my ideas, not my will, not my want, not my thought, but you, Lord. We we only want you. Lead us and guide us, Lord, and we will follow. We appreciate your mercy and your love and your grace. Be with us as we go our separate ways. Help us, Lord, to daily overcome, to, to believe more and more and more of your word as you reveal yourself more and more to your people. We thank you for all your blessings, and we appreciate you, Lord Jesus, in your holy and most precious and beautiful, lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.